All right, everybody, welcome back to Hyper Growth, the podcast dedicated to unpacking what it takes to build a scalable e-commerce brand. I'm your host, Arjun Jolly, co-founder of Ad Quadrant, and joining me today is Ray Lee, CEO of Scene, spelled S-E-N-E. Scene is an LA-based apparel company whose mission it is to make sizeless clothing possible for everyone and to empower people of all shapes, colors, and sizes to feel their best. Investors and advisory board members for Scene include Nike's former head of strategy for North America, Under Armour's form, former chief digital officer, Adidas's former chief supply chain officer, and others as well. Ray, so awesome to have you. Thank you so much for joining the show today. Thank you so much, Arden, for having me. Great to be here. So let's let's start the show by just talking a little bit about why. Uh, why did you launch Scene? Tell us a little bit about the story, especially considering you came from a consulting background. Uh, graduated from Cornell. What was the journey like, and and why are we here today with with this company? Yeah, I was planning on just climbing the corporate ladder out of school. I originally wanted to be a lawyer, then realized it wasn't for me. So was consulting, was doing uh, management consulting at Deloitte, then went into brand consulting at Interbrand, all in New York. And after a while, I was tired of making PowerPoint decks. In consulting, it's fun because you get to learn a lot, you get a great tool set, but a lot of times the recommendations that you make don't actually make it into real life. And so an early version of seeing that felt suitable was really just a nights and weekends project. It was a way for me to get my hands dirty and to see what it actually was like to build a company, a brand from scratch. And it was just kind of really just messing around. I was traveling for work for, I was doing uh, the global rebrand for a company called Qualcomm. I was in Shanghai for a weekend, a buddy and I were like, let's get some custom suits made. I was shocked at how fast it was. And it was the first time where I thought, you know, why are all brands standard size? Why, why couldn't it just be size me? And, you know, not the first to think this, but I, I think, um, we, well, yeah, when I initially started, it was just to scratch the itch. And I, over time, we just realized that actually you know, there's so many companies in the world, but the vast majority of brands carry five sizes. There's, you know, fashion is the, because there's so much inventory that's made that doesn't fit, that gets returned. Fashion is the second most wasteful industry in the world. Over 70% of people are also in between sizes. So um, it's like, oh, this just makes a ton of sense. Like we're in this right moment in time where we can actually leverage data science and technology and smart manufacturing. Um, paired with really great branding to create a new type of relationship that we can have with clothing. And and ultimately realized, like, oh, wow, this is actually a big idea and worth pursuing. That's amazing. And I think that the uniqueness about your brand is what you're doing from that sizeless component, right? Like everything's custom. Um, so yeah. how does that work? What's the What's the user flow look like in terms of somebody, you know, gets the first exposure to seeing it's a new customer coming in, What's the approach like to get that product from uh, website experience all the way through to delivery and wearing on their backs? Yeah, we created a technology called SmartFit, which allows people to create a one-of-a-kind style without needing a tape measure and without getting their body scanned. And so it replaces the traditional tailor in that sense and democratizes really access to custom, makes it really simple, really easy. And also we've automated a lot of the traditionally manual parts of customs of smart that both helps the user, but also helps the factory in terms of streamlining a lot of processes that are traditionally very manual. 
And uh, yeah, so you, you just go online, you take SmartFit, ask you questions about the height, your weight, you know, typical standard sizes, how you prefer things to fit, takes about 50 seconds, generates instantly a unique fit. When you order, we, we take that technical pattern, it's sent to the factory, they automate the cutting and assembled, and then it's delivered to them. So, you know, for RTs, it takes, it ships in at quick uh, two to three days. And then for all of our other products, it's like our sizeless denim or sizeless athleisure suit and whatnot, then it takes um, about two to two and a half weeks for it to ship. Such an amazing concept. And I, you know, I love the fact that, you know, at the end of the day, you made the comment about fashion being a really wasteful industry, especially with the, the uptick of fast fashion in recent decades. It's really incredible to see how the journey that the consumer goes through with you guys and what you're doing, it's a double-edged sword because it's great for the consumer because they're, you know, really getting the benefit of having that custom fit clothing. And then on the flip side, you know, it's great for the environment on that sustainability component. So really, really awesome concept, Ray, and kudos to you on starting it. Now, if we were to actually zoom out and just go all the way back to day one, day one, when you started the company, um, you know, you had that experience in Hong Kong, you went to get that, uh, that custom fit suit the idea triggered on the basis of how fast that was, but what was day one like when you were starting seeing that, that like, you know, first point where you said, Hey, I want to build this. What did that look like? And what was going through your head? Yeah. Our story is a little bit non-traditional because what Venus today was for a while after, you know, started mentoring on the project. So initially there we created a brand called suitable. And, you know, essentially a buddy said, Hey, can I buy some stuff from you? And I just thought, do I mark up the cost by two X? Is that what it is? And then threw up a website, had some of my friends model and that was it. You know, so that was day one. It, there was no ceremony. It was just basically throwing up a shop on my site. Nice. And it's starting to actually getting some traction. And then it got busy enough for me to go part-time at my, my day job and part-time on scene. And then or actually what was suitable. Um, and then had a little showroom in New York and it was very slow. It was very hard actually, you know, put in a bunch of life savings. It, it was very, it was growing, but it was slow. Then my wife and I decided to move to LA, change the brand to scene. Um, but it wasn't it, nothing like the company today. We opened a retail store in LA. My cousin joined this co-founder and had started thinking like uh, started realizing the initial underpinnings of what the company is today um and but you know primarily we were selling suits for men for their weddings and uh, personal savings were getting drained overhead is crazy thought we were about to run out of cash it was incredibly stressful and and this was so in the beginning of 2019 we realized our, our 2019 out yeah, my son was just born uh, we were two months away from running out of cash. I was freaking out. And, um, you know, we had this huge retail store lease with four more years on the lease. And we were like, we have to make a big change. And a lot of people were saying like, maybe it's time to shut things down, you know, move on. Had a great experience, great run. And we thought, no, you know what? Actually, we have, we're not thinking big enough. Let's take all the insights we've learned from measuring people in person and think about, like, let's really go big. We realized that Sizing has to be very, very simple. It has to be dummy-proof. The product has to be incredible. The brand needs to be amazing. And uh, so so we created the, we got rid of the store. We created our first hero product, got rid of all of our products, created the first hero product, which was the Black Tech suit. And then we launched a Kickstarter 
in May 2019. And thankfully, it took off. Like we did about 100,000 in 14 days. And, uh, you know, that funded the start of what's seen as today. Like in our totally new business model where all 100% of orders come through SparkNote. And it was successful and, um, you know, started growing fast. And after a little bit, I brought in some angel investors. But it was, um, yeah, it was at the last second where we should have gone under and a bunch of, Things had to go right in a row, and they all did. And then it started what's seen as today. I, I would love to dig deeper there because at the end of the day, we're in a really, you know, tricky year. I guess you could call it from a macroeconomic climate and just what's happening around us. And you know, it's really a it's an important year for a lot of brands, right? Are they going to be able to to fight through and and um, you know make it with what's happening? Both on the you know consumer spending standpoint, macroeconomic factors, paid media standpoint, acquisition retention, et cetera, you know, are they really going to be able to fight through that, or um, is it a time to change their strategy and look through a different lens? And I remember when when you and I met, kind of, or got connected through this uh, event at Shopify that we spoke at, which was um, the AAPI Entrepreneurship Event. You you shared a story about that turning point for you in respect to your business, and I'd love to. Just unpack that because some of our listeners might be in that state where they're building their businesses. Maybe they're doing, you know, 15, 20, 30 million in revenue, but at the same time, they might be in a point where their growth rate stopped and they don't know how to unlock that next 10 to 15. So I'd love to unpack, you know, with you, Ray, what that turning point was for you and, and that story in terms of that moment where you thought, you know, it was going to go one direction, but it changed and it and it went in a more positive direction. Yeah. I, I think. A lot of people, um, when times are hard, think about pulling back. And for us, I think we've always tried to level up. And, um, you know, I think we have a firm belief that doing what's right for the customer ultimately will win regardless of the macro environment. And so it's like, when it's really tough, how do we create creative that's so much more beautiful and dialed in. How do we think about making product that they really, really want and make the quality incredible? How do we improve our service level? We've always operated really lean. So there, there's never been a, a reason to have to, you know, we didn't have to cut during COVID. We didn't have to cut last year. We don't have to cut now. Like, I think we've always been like, okay, let's just be really thoughtful about our hiring. So on that side, you know, it's not like we had anything to save by buckling down anyway but yeah i i think the encouragement's always it's so easy to blame the macro environment and um it's a self-fulfilling prophecy when you say it's so hard people aren't spending money right now um and then you start to look at how do i just discount a bunch to save the business and we've been in positions before where um we have tried there and just it, it, it's hard and, and and you i think it really is bad for your psyche when you start to think that way yep and I think one, you have to be like, how convicted am I about our brand and our product? I really believe it's good. How do I rethink our marketing, rethink our creative, rethink all this stuff and go even deeper into it? Or do I need to like, you know, level up and improve? But yeah, I think it's all about up your game and then focus. Focus, I think is the other big thing is do um, less, but do it extremely well. That That's worked for us. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's, it, I think to your point, it's easier to retreat, 
right? It's easier to to retreat and, and blame external and sometimes even internal factors on why. But as entrepreneurs and, you know, business builders, it's just a matter of figuring out how we crack the code of getting out of our comfort zone and getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and figuring out how yeah. we, how we, you know, kind of treat every, every day as that, that challenge for, for future growth, no matter what that day holds. So, yeah. um, yeah, it's really, really interesting to just see kind of what's happening and, and how brands are adapting. I think, you know, f- for us, we're, we're really, we work with a lot of challenger brands, um, where they have that mindset of this is the opportunity to actually lean in and capture market share. Uh, whereas plenty of other brands in the market are thinking, okay, let's pull back on all of our acquisition channels and focus only on our lifecycle marketing and and taking that approach. But, you know, pros and cons, every business is in a different stage. That being said, conviction's important, right? In terms of building that business. So when you when you were, you know, building the business in the earlier days, um, would love to just shift the conversation over towards the growth aspect and um how you how you were acquiring customers then, how you're acquiring customers now, what's changed in terms of the growth cycle from when you were initially you'll let's say bringing on your first thousand customers all the way to today uh and and how that acquisition strategy has changed over the years yeah um you know it's funny i mean i I think our our bread and butter is called facebook Mm -hmm. about meta um even in the midst of ios 14 and all that i think we're actually having the best result that we've seen on meta now i mean apart from the early days when yeah you know crazy ROAS. But um, yeah, I, I think Meta is a, a great platform. It's one of those things too, where I think um, it, in uh, the last couple months, we've also restructured our approach to Meta, and that's part of why I think we're, we're seeing really good results now. But another thing where I think people, it's so you, you got to be really wary of what um, you read on social media where people said, Say, oh, Meta's so hard now. You know, it, it's terrible. It's all about TikTok, and then people realize actually it's definitely hard to scale with. And um, so we love Meta. Um, I think it's great. And then also we we have been doing more and more collabs. So collabs is a huge part of our strategy. It's great for social proofing the brand. You know, we did one last year with a Peloton instructor named Emma Lovewell. Super successful. It really surprised us by how well it sold, and we're continuing to do that. And, um, yeah, so, so I think, I think, you know, in terms of fashion brands, there are, there's just permutations of strategies, but our, what we're doing at Colab isn't tremendously innovative. You know, one of my hero brands is Montclair, uh, you know, and those guys, they have the genius project where they partner with incredible creative design, uh, uh, uh creative directors and they launch collabs every month and that's incredible that a company on that scale coordinate such tight releases on that you know so like tons of companies do collabs they do it for a reason it works really well making beautiful creative and creating a distinctive world is so important you know um so i think we are focused on being really good and methodical on performance marketing but we're spending a lot of time on how do we build the world how do we push our creative? You know, we think we're just scratching the surface of where we can take the brand. And ultimately we have relationships with the brand narrative, not like the functional properties of a product. So that's, that's something where we're continuing. Like we're trying to spend a lot of time this year on improving the quality of our brand, focusing, elevated. Interesting. So how are you thinking about creative? What's the, what's the approach 
there in respect to, you know, again, with Meta and obviously other platforms like TikTok and whatnot, where creative strategies are, are key. How are you guys thinking about it in respect to the growth cycle that you're on right now? Yeah. We, um, we have a creative team that's in-house, so we always thought, we're not going to um, outsource the production of creative that needs to be one of our superpowers. It's also, you know, I, I think just one of my strengths and one of the strengths of the company. So what's kind of nice because we kind of manage all, all that in house. When we do the editorial style shoots, we're also building in time to do ad creative. So it's all concepted together. A lot of times companies like parse this out, they do the lifestyle shoot, then they do ad which is all very UDC-ish. And for us, we're like, let's um, let's be very efficient in the way we create content and let's let our ad creative also feel a little bit more, more editorial. Where, you know, a lot of people say like UDC, UDC, which is great. And we have UDC stuff that works, but um, actually a lot of our best performing creative is very beautifully produced. And it gives people a sense of the brand and the vibe. So um, yeah, I, I think just for the nature, the DNA of our brand, what resonates with our customers. Uh, we, we find that the more we're progressively like stepping up what we're investing into the production of all of our assets. And also, you know, the kind of models we have, the uh, what we're spending on location, what we're spending on all this stuff. And a lot of that's all going into ads, you know, it's on a separate creative bucket. That's one of the ads and that's, that's been good for us. So I think for, you know, for founders, it's all about, you got to find, um, what content really works for you. And it may be UTC, it might not be, it might be more produced stuff. Um, it's all about being authentic to the brand DNA for us. Our, I think a lot of our customers buy our stuff because they like, um, that it feels more elevated. So, uh, some of the UGC stuff doesn't work as well for that. Totally agree. Yeah. I think there's, there's a, there's an element of where creative has that play for your brand, right? Because some brands can be really successful on, on only having UGC and that's their, that's core to their brand ethos. Whereas yours is going to be more, more of that elevated, uh, brand shoot. And again, Montclair, I think, you know, you're right. They've done an amazing job with that genius project and brand wise. I mean, they're just, I, I gotta say, I have one of their jackets and I love it. Um, it's my favorite jacket when it gets cold and, you know, it's just, it's a good product, a good brand. And I think that combination of actually having that experience all the way through from first touch creative, all the way through to owning the product and living with it and all that stuff, it, it tells you something about the brand as a whole. And it's a story that, that really weaves together. So really amazing to see that you guys are doing something similar there, Ray. So, um, I'd love to just, you know, before we close out, Ray, I'd love to just ask you to maybe, um, part some wisdom on, you know, founders and, and other e-commerce entrepreneurs, let's say businesses that are maybe doing, you know, 20 million in revenue, um, on their, on their D2C businesses. What do you think that they should be paying attention to this year and next year in respect to growing their businesses? Yeah. I think one thing is that it never gets any easier. <laughs> well said. <laughs> I've just, I've just been talking to, uh, my buddies who are running, you know, companies that are doing 75 or companies that are doing 150, 200. And they say that one, it's sometimes when they get to that stage, it's actually the hardest it, it's ever been for them. So I, I think when you keep that in mind and you're just mentally prepared, that it just get easier. 
uh, you can kind of enjoy the ride a little bit more because you're not waiting for this moment of relief and things are more peaceful. It just gets more complicated. So I think that's one. But I think the other thing that just seems to be the theme is brand building is even more important at that time because uh, I think for companies that haven't invested well in brand, they start to suddenly hit walls or ceilings um, around that stage, right? So I think you never want to be in a, a position where you suddenly have to really elevate your brand because it's been neglected and for some reason acquisition was easier. And um, yeah, uh, I think the best brands are, or the, the largest companies are incredibly thoughtful about their brand and have figured out the world. And um, when, when things are hard, people come back and the brands they love. So uh, yeah, like we, we need to be good operators, of course, but yeah, in, in all these conversations I'm having, everyone's like, <laughs> um, their brand and the permission that the brand has to do certain things. Awesome. I think it's really good advice, especially considering that brand is often one of the most neglected things when you're focused on what's bringing in new customers. Um, so I think it's, it's a really, really great point. Well, Ray, I really appreciate you carving out the time to sit with us today. I think our, our listeners are going to really find your insights just incredibly helpful. Um, scenestudio.com for Ray Lee's company, amazing apparel company. Would definitely recommend checking it out. Thanks again, Ray. And to all of our listeners, thank you for listening and watching. Thanks for tuning in and stay tuned for the next episode of Hypergrowth. Take care, everyone. Mm-hmm.